Today's episode is brought to you by Riverside, the leading podcast and video recording platform. And quite literally, I was using Riverside before they became a sponsor. My journey to good recordings is a long one that started with me clumsily using Zoom and explaining to my guests how to record their audio. Now, Riverside takes care of everything for me. I get two separate tracks of high-quality audio with no fuss. It sounds like we're in the same room. And I'm not the only one. More than 70,000 people use Riverside, including Guy Raz, Andrew Warner, and companies like the New York Times. There is a reason why so many creators use Riverside. So check them out and all of their features over at howibuilt.it slash Riverside and get an exclusive 30% discount with the code Joe30. That's J-O-E-3-0 over at howibuilt.it slash Riverside. Thanks so much to Riverside for their support of the show. This episode is brought to you by Ahrefs, an all-in-one SEO tool set that gives you what you need to rank your website in Google and get tons of search traffic. And now you can use their webmaster tools for free. Ahrefs has been instrumental for me in increasing traffic to my sites. Over the holidays, I had the best quarter for affiliate income because it showed me my most popular pages and topics, and I was able to optimize and update accordingly. Their webmaster tools are made for small website owners. Connect your website through Google Search Console and get your site audits, backlinks, and keyword data. If you create content, this is a must-have. Gain a following and increase traffic to your site for free. Sign up for Ahrefs at ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. Finding time as a busy creator or small business owner can be tough. But what about being a single mom, running a content business in a competitive space, and making money doing it? That's exactly what Christine Pittman does, running her hugely successful cooking blogs and podcasts. Tune in to get tips about starting, staying consistent, making money, and the important role analytics plays in all of it. Plus, in Build Something More, we talk about what it's like cooking for our kids as business-running parents. Christine and I recorded this episode shortly before my third child was born, and so I had a lot of questions for her. It was a great conversation. And today's episode is brought to you by Riverside, Ahrefs, and Nexus. You can find out more about them and get everything we talk about, all of the show notes, over at howibuilt.it slash 253. But for now, let's get into the intro and then the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast that helps small business owners create engaging content that drives sales. Each week, I talk about how you can build good content faster to increase revenue and establish yourself as an authority. I'm your host, Joe Casabona. Now let's get to it. Want to know the best way to get new episodes, top takeaways, and other tips, tools, and tricks to become a more consistent creator? Sign up for Build Something Weekly. It's totally free, totally weekly, and it will provide you the resources you need to build good content and drive sales. On top of having these episodes delivered straight to your inbox, you'll get some quick thoughts, recommendations, and a content roundup. The perfect way to start your week. You can sign up for free at howibuilt.it slash subscribe. 
That's howibuilt.it slash subscribe to get my free weekly newsletter. Christine, how are you today? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, We uh, were introduced through mutual friend and awesome person, Brittany Lynn, uh, whom you heard from my friends uh, earlier this year. Um, Or actually, you know, this is a little bit out of time because Brittany and I are recording after this. So maybe you'll hear about (laughs) her later. That's a little behind the scenes time travel here on in podcast land. But um, I I was telling Brittany about my goal for for the show for this year. And she mentioned you and I did a little research and I I felt like you were perfect for the show. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to share this stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So let's, let's jump in. I have a lot of notes here um, about kind of how you're using analytics, uh, how you are repurposing your content for books, how you have two podcasts, one, which I feel is tailor made for me. Um, And then in build something more, we're going to be talking about something that I struggle greatly with, which is cooking for my kids. Uh, Now, as this episode comes out, I will have three uh, cooking for my kids um, as a self-employed, busy parent with a uh, wife who's a nurse. Uh, So that'll be over in build something more. You can sign up over at buildsomething.club if you want to hear that conversation. But Before we get into all that, uh, Christine, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I am a single mom of two living in Florida, and I started Cook the Story as like a personal, almost journal-style cooking blog back in 2010 to connect with friends and family back home in Canada. I just moved to Florida, and it just evolved over the years and started to get traffic. It was very surprising. And then sponsors wanted to work with me and it started to turn into a little business. And then I launched the cookful.com, my second site, almost to like make up for the mistakes I made the first time. If I could do it all over again, how would I do it differently knowing what I know now? So that, that's been a fun experiment. And yeah, then I just have my hands in all kinds of food media. There's cookbooks, there's podcasts, there's all the social media that goes with it. There's videos. We're all over the place. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit more about that, right? Uh, when, well, first of all, when did you start your blog now? Cook the Story was 2010 and then the Cookful was 2015. Okay. So you started your blog in in 2010. Um, What kind of inspired you to, like, did you start it as like a a hobby or were you like, this is definitely going to be a side hustle? This is before the word side hustle term side hustle became a thing, right? Yeah, I had no idea that the blog would turn into my career in any way, shape, or form. I started it. I had been uh, working on a PhD studying the language Inuktitut in Toronto. Yeah, <laughs> when we moved to Florida, there are not a lot of Inuit, uh, Eskimo, Inuktitut speakers in Florida, unfortunately. And so that um, kind of faded. And I was really, I guess I was thinking about, my parents had restaurants the whole time I was growing up. And so food was a huge part of my life. And I knew I didn't want to work in restaurants. I didn't want to go to culinary school, but I wanted to be involved in food in some way. So as I was thinking about that transitional career, if I'm not going to be in academia anymore, I was quasi stay-at-home mom while my then-husband worked and, you know, what was I going to do with my time? And the idea of trying food writing, like trying to actually pitch 
um, publications and do some food writing was one of the things in my mind. And I thought that to get a little credibility to, you know, work those chops, get something going, I would start the blog as that like hobby and place to practice and, and yeah, get some credibility. So that's how it started. Wow. That's, that's amazing. First of all, um, <laughs> do you, can you spill, I'm, I'm gonna, uh, can you still speak in Nuktatuk? Is that, am I saying it right? Yeah, you know what? I, I always this is a question I get all the time. So I was a linguist who studies the structure of language, not so much speaking the language. So oh, I was doing it more, almost like a grammarian, yeah. looking at the, the language and trying to figure out how it works. And there's lots of, I mean, obviously it's an indigenous language, so um, you know we don't know as much about those languages as we know about sort of the Indo-European languages that we're more familiar with. So finding out what is even possible in all the world's languages and digging into that and seeing how they're different and similar from the languages we're more familiar with. Wow. That's super cool. Um, really interesting. I, uh, there is, I'll try to remember to link this in the show notes, but there's a, a, a fella <laughs> on YouTube who, uh, kind, kind of breaks down dialects. He's like a, a dialect coach mm-hmm. and talks about accents, accents or something I'm in, incredibly interested in. And I feel like it all kind oh, yeah. of fits in there. Yeah, so yeah, it's fascinating. If, all the variation we can have. Yeah, if you get me worked up, my New York accent will come out later. But uh, mm. I try to keep it to a low burn so people understand what I'm saying on the podcast. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll match you with my Canadian one. That's perfect. I thought I thought you had a Canadian. I when you heard when you said about, I heard it mm-hmm. a little bit, a little bit. Um, about and sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like coffee and dog are really the two words where yeah. my accent hits. Um, so okay. So you had no, food was a big part of your life. You had no idea that this was going to become part of your business. 2010, we were just kind of still recovering from the, the housing bubble economically. When did you realize that this, that this blog, uh, that creating content was a, a viable uh, income option for you? Yeah, it was probably around 2013. And this is actually a great story because what was happening was that's when I started working with sponsors and I started getting like not a lot of money, but some product, some giveaway, some big giveaway items, the KitchenAid mixers and the Blendtec blenders that, you know, people were really excited about back then. Uh, and then some paid sponsorship opportunities. And what I started noticing was that I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with doing the content that the sponsors wanted while also doing that sort of my my own unsponsored content. Mm-hmm. And so that summer, 2013, summer of 2013, I hired our babysitter um, nice. to work for me for the summer. She's a 16-year-old. She wanted a part-time job. She was here most days in the summer. I taught her how to edit photos, how to put together blog posts. I would literally take a picture of my like written up recipe and she would plug that into the post. I would go for a walk and like speech to test speech to text the blog post and email that to her. And so I was cooking all day, four or five recipes a day, and she was putting them together and scheduling them out for the year ahead so that then I'd have all this unsponsored content and could really focus on pitching sponsors and doing the content really well for them while not having my site only be sponsored. I wanted to have that mix. Yeah. And that's really important, right? Because I think that your readers readers catch on pretty quickly if you're only doing sponsored content or affiliate content, right? If you're only like shilling affiliate links, that mm-hmm. kind of takes a hit at your credibility. Um, so oh, that's yeah, sure. that's really interesting. So 
summer of 2013, you hired your babysitter essentially to help you batch a bunch of content, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And that this is something I try to teach my students, especially um, my podcasting students, because podcasting, as you know, is, is I mean, a recipe blog. Like my blog is just kind of thoughts that I have. Uh, <laughs> but like a recipe blog, that's like a lot of work because you're like cooking and going through the steps. Um, you know, that good content takes a lot of work and, and batching so that you're really intentional about when you're going to create that content. Um, and having a kind of uh, stockpile of it so that you're not going, oh man, I need to, I need a new blog post for tomorrow. What am I going to write about? And then you end up rushing it and it's going to be crappy. Yeah, no, exactly. And it really gave me time to plan out the content. I mean, I had to, you know, she, uh, Madison was her name. She's coming over for, for the day and I need to make sure that I have, I know what I'm making, that I've planned it, that I've done the grocery shopping and, really started also like, I guess, batching in terms of making sure some things were using the same ingredients or like silly things, you know, chopping four yeah. onions at once instead of one onion and having them off to the side ready to use. Yeah. Uh, and then um, she was, of course, batching the photo editing, which can be very time consuming. Um, yeah. So that that's what that was about for sure. That's amazing. And, and when you, uh, so there's also like a real cost to being a recipe blogger, right? Because you are buying the ingredients and, and presumably your, your family is consuming what you make for the blog, but still, you know, it's, if it's not something you would generally make, it's just like, you know, if I review software and I can't get a free license, I'm paying for it so I can do the tutorial or the course on it. Um, so what's, I guess, tell me a little bit about that. How many, how, how much grocery shopping, I think we spend too much on groceries. Uh, how much grocery shopping do you do to prep for these blog posts? Well, so back then I was at the grocery store every probably second or third day. But I mean, like I said, I was making four or five recipes a day. Mm -hmm. So we weren't eating all that. My neighbors were very happy. (laughs) I I would send them a text kind of midway through the day with a list of anything that I knew my family wasn't going to probably be fond of. And like, okay, here are the options. Here's what I can bring over later. And I I fed part of the neighborhood for that summer. But now I don't do... I don't like admitting this necessarily all the time, but I don't do any of the recipe development or photography or videos for any of my sites anymore. I have uh, contributors on one site and then I have a ghost recipe developer photographer on the other one. Oh, wow. That's that's great. And that's another way for you to kind of manage the business, right? Is you're able to kind of take yourself out of it. Um you know, that's, I think that's something that a lot of, especially freelancers, small business owners worry about, right? Is if I have other people doing the stuff, is it going to seem, uh, is it going to look poorly upon me? Right. But I don't know. I teach people how to podcast and I don't edit my own podcasts. Like uh, that's just the, the least favorite part of podcasting for me. So I hire it out. Yeah. And I really think, I mean, I had to come to terms with this um, o- over time, right? That that giving away of the things that you think are the essential part of your business, but it's not where my time is best spent. And uh, like, to be clear, I'm still super behind everything that happens in terms of the recipes that we do. I, I'm diving into my stats and into keyword research and I'm content planning based on well, a variety of things that I'm sure we're going to talk about. And then I'm working closely with the recipe developer to say, okay, we're going to do a one pan spaghetti 
baked spaghetti dinner. And okay, what what should that include? What is my recipe style? You know, when I somebody new coming on, we have a lot of conversations about like I don't use fresh herbs in the recipes on my site except for maybe as a garnish optional garnish because I don't think that most people have them or certainly not. I feel like the kind of people who don't have fresh herbs in their house don't want to see them and don't know what to do necessarily when they see them in that recipe. People who do have fresh herbs in their house, they're all about it and they know when to add them. They know when to like that, that I can kind of guess that. So I can say use dried basil in this sauce and you might if your cooking knowledge is there and you've got some fresh basil, then you might be like, ooh, I'll also garnish it with that or I'll throw that in there too. But so that that like the recipe philosophy and what I want to shine through, how easy I want the recipes to be, um, the, yeah, the kind of equipment that we use, all of that, that is still coming from me. It's just the actual making it and testing it and then and then taking the pictures that somebody else is doing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really important, right? Because you understand your audience, right? It's I, you know, I say the same thing about when I make like, a, again, microphone recommendations, right? I'm never going to recommend like a, a, a Neumann or a Telefunken microphone because mm-hmm. if you know you need that microphone, you don't need my advice on which one to get, right? Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's that. It's that exact thing. And so you mentioned analytics and keyword research. Before we get into that, I have a burning question that I've always wondered. Um, you have the you have a, a blog post with a recipe. Um, this seems to be the format for most recipe blogs I've been to. There's a, a, a long story before you get to the <laughs> recipe. Uh, why, why is that? What's the purpose behind that? Yeah, we get a lot of flock flack about this as as food bloggers, especially. So I think you know I've I've been doing this food blogging thing for not as long as some people. There were some people before me, but I I go pretty far back. And way back then, 2010, you couldn't really make money on food blogs or not. I don't think anybody was, nobody was starting it as a business. It was just hobby sharing. And I think it was really like a a form of journaling. And so we would get these stories that were, I mean, my, my favorite example is always, we just moved to Florida and my son and I were out for a walk and there was a woman picking lemons off of a tree. And I'm like, wow, there's lemons growing on a freaking tree in somebody's yard. That's crazy, you know? And she ended up giving us some and then we went home and made lemonade. And then of course I wrote that story and then put the lemonade recipe at the bottom. And that was what we did. And that, you know, my parents could read about it. My friends could read about it. Um, Then, you know, over time as my, is it, switched from hobby to business, I started realizing that um, the posts that did best on traffic were the ones that were showing up in search results because they were really about the recipe. So this would be a blog post about lemonade, the history of lemonade, how different cultures make lemonade, how to make it sweet, how to make it sour, what, you know, all those sorts of things, those posts did better. So back in the day, that long story was there because the recipe blog started as sort of like journals that mostly stay-at-home moms were were building, but not exclusively, right? And now... I think that we still have all those paragraphs at the top because that seems to really help with the SEO. That seems to, you know, Google, the search engines are looking for particular keywords, making sure that you're talking about the right things and you don't get all of those things inside of the recipe. They 
come, you know, you, you talk about them in other ways. I will say I do love that most food blogs, including mine, have that jump to recipe button at the top now. So you can just very easily just bloop, yeah. <laughs> go down to the recipe. And I've started, uh, if we end up talking about the recipe of the day podcast, I've started actually sharing that link. Like I right click on the jump to recipe button and get that link. And I not always, but I share that in places where I'm pretty sure people are just wanting the recipe or like, like if I've just done a podcast episode and they're getting it in the podcast episode, right. they've heard me talk about it already. They don't right. need to read about it. So I share the jump to recipe link instead of the post link. Yeah. And I think this is really important, right? Because it's, it's storytelling. People, most people love storytelling, right? My, mm-hmm. my best YouTube videos are, are kind of the same, right? And I've gotten comments that are like, why is everybody treating these tutorials like a podcast where they're telling us all about it? And I was just like, sorry that my free content upsets you. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry I'm creating context around the thing I'm going to show you. But mm-hmm. I have chapter markers in it. If you want to jump to the installation process, we can do that. So, but people people love the story. It helps them connect with your content, and it keeps coming and it keeps them coming back for more, right? Yeah, and I think you mentioned too that the sorry, my free content isn't what you want it to be. <laughs> but I mean, a lot of us, me included, make a lot of money from the advertising income, and that depends a bit on keeping people on the page. The amount yeah. of time we keep them there, I try very hard to not like gratuitously keep them there. I'm not doing anything like unnecessary. The jump to recipe button is there. People can skip it. But if I can give you compelling information that's going to make you go more slowly, I make more money for that. So it's like a a reciprocal sort of thing, right? right. I'm going to make money off you by you staying on and I'm going to give you really great content in between the top and the recipe to try and keep you there. Yeah, right. It's it's the good content or the longer content helps you make money so you can provide that good content for free, right? Exactly. And I, you know, I think that's really important. I mean, look, if if I want recipes without the story, I'll just go buy Betty Crocker's whatever, like her latest recipe, but her latest, like Betty Crocker's still writing them. Uh, the latest, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the latest recipe book or whatever. So well, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no, that's a great point because we can just get cookbooks or magazines, but the beauty of the way the web works is you can search for exactly what you want. If you right. have a cookbook with, you know, a hundred recipes in it, it's not necessarily going to have those pancakes when you need them right. or, you know, that those crispy chicken wings when you want them. Yeah. So that's what we're doing is we're making all of this available. And then with all the commenting and that referral you get, like you do from Amazon or anything else, this like sense of, oh, this is five stars from 20 people. This yeah. is probably good. So we're getting all of that information, which you don't get in a cookbook either. Yeah. And and then you're also getting the, why is this different, right? Like why, why, why is this recipe standing out instead of whatever is in, in that cookbook, which I think I called a recipe book before because that's how in tune I am with cooking, um, <laughs> which is not fair. I'm an Italian. I should be able to cook, right? I just don't do it often. Um, so let's talk about this because it's come up a few times now, uh, but the the content strategy, what you publish, how you publish it, all has to do with leveraging your analytics, right? So first, what do you use for analytics? Is it just Google Analytics? Is there some other tool, super secret sauce that that you use? Yeah, no, I'm just using Google Analytics and I use Google Search Console and I use SEMrush for keyword research. 
And I do a lot of like I cut my own organic searching. There's certain things that I do that I'm sure the various software programs, to, so I'll just give you an example. If I'm thinking about doing a particular recipe and I want to see if I can compete for it, I'll search for it in an incognito window and then see who's showing up. If it is like a page after page of like powerhouse publications that I don't, I mean, sometimes sometimes I do win out over some of these. Who knows why? But it's a little bit harder. Yeah. Whereas if I see like it's a whole bunch of blogs that I haven't heard of or um, sometimes if there's a lot of all recipes showing up because they have very thin content, they don't have a big description at the top. I'll think, oh, I, if I if I hit the right keywords, if I, if I do a great recipe and explain things well here, I have a shot. So so that's kind of my more organic-y, like just me getting a sense, just looking around and feeling on top of the tools. Awesome. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? It's, um, uh, so Google Analytics, Google Search Console, SEMrush uh, for keywords, and then doing your own organic search to kind of see what the competition mm-hmm. uh, out there is. Um, that's great. Full disclosure, a competitor of SEMrush, a Hrefs, I should say, Hrefs, uh, is a current and former sponsor of this podcast. So full disclosure there. Um, so, uh, so let's say you have, let's let's start kind of at the top here. You have an idea for a new blog post. Uh, what is so? First of all, do you come up with your own ideas, or do you? go to Google Search Console or Analytics, I guess Search Console would be, or SEMrush, to see what should I write about? Or is it a combination of both? It's kind of a, so I actually start in Google Analytics and I, I'm always looking at what my sort of top 10 to 15 posts are on each site. And they don't change that much over time. Um, but I'm always trying to continue to do content related to a lot of those. And my general feeling on this is, uh, so most of my traffic comes from Google. I, I'm very, I've never been great at social media. I'm not I'm a little bit of Pinterest, but mostly, mostly Google. And so my, my general feeling on things is if something is ranking well in Google, that means that the algorithm thinks that I am an expert on this topic. And so if I do more content on that topic, it will probably do well also. So my top performing post on Cook the Story is how to roast pork perfectly. It is almost always number one on any browser. When you search for roast pork, it is there. And I have, I I don't even cook that much pork, to be honest, in my own home, but there's every kind of pork recipe you can ever find on Cook the Story because that is what works. On the cook full, it's chicken wings. How to bake chicken wings crispy gets over 200,000 hits on Super Bowl Sunday every year. That wow. one post. Yeah, it's it's like when people are searching for oven chicken wings, that's where you go. And so we have, you know, I don't know, 100 chicken wing recipes. Yeah. We have the homemade buffalo sauce. Like every everything you want to do about chicken wings, all kinds of buffalo chicken recipes too. Like, so anything that's doing well, that is like my starting point. And then that's when I start doing the SEM rush or um, keyword research into um, what, what, what have I not done before? So if I, if I type in, you know, pork recipes, pork, whatever, it'll start giving me various things. And then we're also, so that that's one set of content ideas comes from there. The other set comes from, um, so on, on Time Management Insider, my podcast, I do a meal plan at the end of each episode, like a five-day meal plan. And 
I realized, you know, around episode 20 that I didn't have as many like quick, simple recipes as I thought I did. I have lots of, or not full dinner. Like they were like, I have lots of side dishes and lots of entrees and lots of, but not like everything's in a pot, you know, those those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's what really worked best on the meal plans. And so it's like when I realize there's a gap, we don't have enough of something that I actually think serves my demographic and my readers, then we'll do more of those. And then I'm looking a little bit of my own stats. So, you know, I would I would do maybe some things that include pork or chicken wings, just for that example, but also going and looking on places like Pinterest and what is just trending, what will catch people's eyes. So there's both the strategy of maximizing that expertise in in the Google algorithm sort of idea, like continuing to be the queen of pork and of chicken wings. And at the same time, looking for the new trends and things that somebody visiting my site already would be like, oh, that's cool. You know, they might not get yeah. super excited about how to roast pork. That's kind of a little boring. It might be something they search for on Google, but not get excited about when right. they see spontaneously. So then there's those other set there. Very cool. So this is So this is super interesting. Uh, and as I'm asking this question, I'm realizing that's it's probably absolutely the case. But do you find that like certain recipes are cyclical, right? Like, is there a set of recipes that do super well? As we're recording this right after Thanksgiving, it's coming out re- shortly after the New Year. So you have you know you have recipes that do well around this time versus like over the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's you know I always I always find it super fascinating. So there's the cyclical yearly schedule. So that's where I'll see you know, yeah, gravy and stuffing the a few days before Thanksgiving. And then we have tons of recipes for how to use leftover cranberry sauce. Um, <laughs> I just love cranberry sauce. Yeah. Those go crazy the day after. Even actually Thursday, like the Thanksgiving night, they yeah. start, it's like people are putting away their cranberry Should sauce and they're this? already yeah. looking it up. <laughs> um, so there's that, but there's also this really fascinating like weekly schedule that I just find like, so every Sunday, the How to Roast Pork post goes pretty crazy. And I'm like, that to me means, because I don't think it's the same people who search for How to Roast Pork every Sunday, right? right? But it seems to be the same amount. Like it's like 40,000 hits every Sunday or something right now, which means that every Sunday there's a different 40,000 people who are suddenly searching uh, for Right. I have time to prepare Monday's meal because it's Sunday, right? So I'll roast. Yeah. Yeah. Or the roast dinner that like, I think people sometimes do that classic sort of roast dinner on Sunday. And then Monday without fail, I have a how to cook chicken breasts from frozen. This post cracks me up so much. I cannot get Anybody, so it, it does really well on Mondays. Every Monday, that's where that spikes. But what is hilarious to me is I can't get anybody to click on anything else from that page. I have tried other frozen chicken recipes. I have tried a little ebook, newsletter, subscription, get more. Fro- I've tried everything I can think of. But I actually think that what's happening is this is like busy parents yeah. got home on Monday, forgot to take the chicken out of the freezer and are like literally sitting there at their computer with frozen chicken on their lap being like, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> So wow. they get the recipe, they read it, and then they go cook. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's that definitely Sunday is the roast pork, Monday is the chicken wings, Saturday or sorry, Monday is the frozen chicken breast, Saturday is the chicken wings, and you can just see that shrimp cocktail. I would not, I don't know why. Shrimp cocktail every single holiday. That is New Year's, Valentine's Day, Easter, St. Patrick's Day. It's like wow. it's like the whole country is just like 
oh, I want to make something special. Shrimp cocktail. <laughs> That's so funny. Wow. Yeah. Um, gosh, I, I love that. And and so you, I mean, understanding your analytics helps you plan all of this content, which then, of course, allows you to um, monetize, right? Because this is, uh, you know, I guess hit the bell because I said monetize, but... Um, you know what's getting good hits. You know how to shape your content to keep people coming back. Uh, so mm-hmm. what what are some of the ways that you you make money off of? Uh, let's go with your blog specifically, and then we'll talk about kind of how you repurpose into this content empire. Yeah, okay. So the blogs is almost strictly advertising income. That is, um, I'm with AdThrive. I love them. Um, and to like, even some of the, the stuff that we're talking about right now, I can look, I can see which of my posts get the highest RPM. That's like the payment per thousand visitors mm-hmm. that I get. I can see which ones get the highest and which ones get the lowest. And then I can tweak things to try. And so if I know that something's getting really hard, high money per thousand visitors, I can then try to get more traffic to that post. Whereas one that's getting low, um, money, like, dollars per visitor, then that I might try tweaking the actual content and try. Of course, always, if it's a high traffic post, I tend to leave it alone. Like if it's a high traffic post, it's not making very much. I'm afraid to, you know, fiddle around too much there. The hope is the traffic's going to come and those people are going to maybe click on something else and maybe that that will bring in more revenue. But um, I I try not to screw around with those things too much. But, um, But yeah. So it's mostly ad revenue, very little affiliate marketing. And I don't work with sponsors almost at all anymore. I have one small, just a a project because I love the company coming up in, I think, the spring. But no, no sponsor content anymore. Interesting. And so you're with AdThrive. This is one of those ad networks. They kind of dynamically insert ads right into your blog Mm -hmm. posts. Um, Mm I, I'll have I'll pose both questions here in case I forget them. Um, one is, do you have to have a blog of a certain size to be part of this network? And the other is completely unrelated. Um, do you find that uh, ad blocking technology has has kind of hurt your bottom line? Um, or I guess not since it's worth it to keep running it. But I'm just I guess I'm cur- more curious about kind of. Mm-hmm ad blocking technology uh, from your perspective? So yeah, blog of certain size, they do have a minimum and I can't remember what it is, but it's well over, it's over a hundred thousand per month for sure. Um, I, yeah. I, I, and then there, but there's other ones. Mediavine, I think has a lower threshold and they work with a lot of food bloggers too. Um, so that's that. The ad blocking, I have my, my, since I started monetizing and using ads, it has only grown. So it's hard, like the income is only grown. So it's hard for me to know if ad blocking is having an effect. We are all, of course, in this industry worried about what is, what I don't, I don't remember the name of this. Something is happening. It was supposed to happen this year. It's happening not this year, but soon where Chrome is going oh. to stop allowing the cookies that target yeah. the ads in the same way. Right. So uh, yeah, the, the, the blocking third-party cookies, which... Yes. Other browsers are kind of also kind of doing, and Apple has their whole privacy thing within Safari. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so for instance, I know that I make more money 
from people on Chrome than from the other browsers. And that's because the advertisers who are um, inserting the ads for Chrome know that they're very targeted because of those third-party cookies. So there's been, it was supposed to happen. It was supposed to happen this year and it's delayed. I know that they're all, everybody's working together to try and figure out solutions. It has something to do with email address tracking or something mm -hmm. or the solutions. Yeah. I'm trying not to worry about it, but that is partly why I'm always diversifying um, most recently, I mean, we can talk about this at some point, but the podcast and a lot of the things that I've been doing, um, I'm not, I don't have any ads on them. I'm not really monetizing them. What I'm doing is just that like brand awareness of myself, and my business, hoping that I'm getting in front of more people so that they're not just coming from Google and they love me. And then they're easier to, you know, have them subscribe and sell things to, and like all of that kind of thing. So um, that is part of that strategy to buffer against the ad blocking or the third-party cookies going away. This episode is brought to you by Store Builder from Nexus. When it comes to setting up an e-commerce site, you have a choice between easy but limited or a limitless platform that you need to manage yourself. Until now. Store Builder is e-commerce made easy for everybody. It saves you time and delivers a storefront that lets you get to selling. As someone who set up multiple e-commerce sites, I can tell you that Store Builder has been a much easier experience than anything else. Answer a few questions, add your content, and sell. Store Builder was created and is supported by e-commerce experts at Nexus. Get the speed, security, and support you need when you need it. Are you ready to launch your perfect online store? Head over to howibuilt.it slash storebuilder for a special offer. That's howibuilt.it slash storebuilder. For some context, right, this show started basically talking to WordPress developers on how they built their WordPress products. I don't know if you're using WordPress for your blog. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I love WordPress. So, uh, and then it kind of moved to small business owners and freelancers. I feel like I started very niched and then I expanded and now I'm niching back down. Um, but that's this has been a common thread throughout the life of the show, right? Diversify. Uh, with freelancers, you don't want that one big client because if that one big client disappears there goes half of your revenue or whatever. And so, um, yeah, let's talk about your podcast now because I uh, didn't write the number down in the, maybe we didn't get an exact number in the in the pre-show, but you have a ton of content at this point, right? You have over 10 years worth of content that you can pull from now, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's thousands of recipes on the two sites. And so the first podcast I started a year ago, I was one of the the, the COVID podcasters. Mm -hmm. I, <laughs> I, you know, I've loved talk radio since I was a kid. My parents listened to talk radio. I used to listen to, I, you know what, it just politically not aligned with me, mm -hmm. um, radio shows just because I liked the format of yeah. the, the talking and the conversation. So I yeah. would listen to anybody back when it was just like airwaves, right. you know, um, and the only obstacle for me was I kept I kept worrying about how you actually record it and edit it. I knew I could talk. I knew I could do that part. And it was that that was a stumbling block. And then I, I just happened to meet a friend during COVID online who was a audio producer. And he was like, oh, that's easy. 
here, I'll get you a microphone. You start talking and we'll figure it out. It's easy. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then he moved on to other things. And I'll say my second podcast, I now do the editing myself. I love it. I just, I'm like totally, they're short. They're three to five minute episodes. And I have a blast, like just like fixing them up and doing them. But yeah, I started it a year ago and it's Time Management Insider, the first podcast. Uh, it's meal planning and time management for inside the home. So it's like a lot of laundry and, um, and food talk yeah. and, um, and mental health stuff. And, and, you know, I have different, I have lots of different guests, cookbook authors and people on time and all kinds of things. But at the end of the show, I run through this, this meal plan that I was telling you about. And that, that was sort of one of those repurposing ideas, right? Like I have all this content. What if I start packaging things together in a different way? These like, you know, five-day meal plans that link to just recipes on my site. So it's another like interlinking sort of thing, but it also gives my readers something else to come to. And so that was part of that. And then the second podcast is Recipe of the Day. That is every single day, three to five minutes long. And I'm running through a recipe from the site, tips for making it, how it fits into your week, that, that sort of thing. Um, and it's just all pulling that content too. And so it's been amazing what you can do with when you already have the content. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, so first of all, recipe of the day, um, super great. I'm subscribed to that podcast. Um, because I need, I like, I can't just keep making chicken nuggets for my kids, even though my kids love my, well, my son is, uh, not, he's like one and a half and he just eats whatever you put in front of him, food or not. Um, but, uh, my daughter is, uh, four and a half. And so she's, she has entered the picky eater phase where she likes (laughs) something one day and decides the next day she doesn't like it. So finding ideas that are, that are you know, kind of time appropriate. Um, just, just a fantastic idea. So uh, before I lose this question, you edit your second podcast yourself. What do you use for editing? Audacity. Nice. I'm nice. just using Audacity. Yeah. And I made, you know, I, I bought the license to some little theme music and a dinging noise awesome. and, and mixed that all the way I wanted and made a template. And yeah, I, I, I find it really, it actually reminds me of when I first learned to edit food photos. Yeah. That like power of like you you do something and it's pretty good and then you can make it so much better. It, it's really fun. Yeah, that's great. And and something that I'll say here as a podcast consultant and coach um is you have a good setup there and I feel like that's um that's like more than half the battle when it comes to editing, right? Is you sound good. It, it seems like you're in a quiet place. I don't know how old your kids are, but I suspect they're probably at school right now as we record. Uh, yeah, so you yeah. have a, a quiet house. And, and so you don't have to worry about um, some loud noise or rephrasing something and, and cutting. And it's, it's, it's generally uh, a, pretty, a pretty clean recording that you just need to kind of tighten up a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. I run it, you know what? So I record on Audacity and then I... I I edit the file a little bit, pauses or whatever I have to get out of there. Yeah. And then I run it through Alphonic. Okay. Have you heard of this? Yeah. A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C. It's yeah. so, much, so much time is free a month. And then I don't even, I don't know any of the terminology, but I just drop this file in there and it it seems to make it louder and make yeah. some of the, yep. I don't know, boost, not background noise. Boost the vocals. It probably applies what's like a high pass filter and a noise gate to kind of get those consistent low sounds, right? If, mm-hmm. if you have a dog barking, 
the dog is going to be barking. But if you have like a fan uh, or, or like a, even a washing machine, because like my, mm-hmm. you can probably see the closed door behind me. That's our laundry room. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have a washing machine or your HVAC running and it's consistent. Uh, tools like Alphonic can, uh, can edit that stuff, can figure out that and, and, and get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that that's yeah. what I do. It's pretty simple. Nice. The reverse, uh, a, a tip here, the reverse of that is is to record about 30 seconds of what's called room tone uh, so that if you need to add a pause, you can add the room tone underneath. That way it's not like you talking with a little bit of white noise and then just dead silence and then you oh. talking with a little white. So the room tone makes it more consistent. Learn that from like LinkedIn that. Learning. Um, I like that very much. I'm yeah. writing it down so I don't forget. There awesome. Um, so your recipe of the day podcast specifically, you pull from one of the many recipes you have across both sites. Uh, so this is straight up repurposing content, putting it into a new format. Do you read the stories kind of verbatim like a script or do you add your own flourish to them? No, I, that was a, a pretty heavy eye roll I just saw there. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no, that's great. This is yeah. great. <laughs> no, you know, it's, it's super funny. I, the first few that I recorded, I just kind of reread the recipe to familiarize myself and then talked about, it was for um, chicken cordon bleu stack. So instead of taking a chicken breast and stuffing it and then breading it and frying it, instead you layer everything so you can get it together really quickly and into the oven. So I was talking my way through just explaining the recipe and, and then I played it for my boyfriend and he's like, so you just explained the recipe, but I just learned three things about cooking that I didn't know before. And that's when I realized that those little tips, the little like, um, what I talk about, I talk about the ham at the bottom of these stacks catches any cheese that drips down. So it doesn't just go and stick to your pan. It actually comes off with the ham. So I'm like giving these like little tips all through, you know, all all through the show. And I don't, I think that they're buried sometimes in that longer blog post, but Um, they're not, a lot of it is just coming from like my intuitive knowledge. If I'm going to explain to you how to make something, I explain the why as part of that. And I, I think I maybe do it verbally even more naturally than I do it in writing. And so, yeah, I, I I guess I I jot down a few notes, you know, just so I make sure I, oh, don't forget to mention this and this. And then I have it open in front of me, the recipe as I'm talking. And because I'm editing it myself, I can stop the recording and like think for a second. And I think I figured out how to be like, and then stop. Okay. What's in then? And then like find the, (laughs) or leave it running and edit out the pause later. Like it doesn't really matter, but either way, um, yeah, so so that that's how that is. I feel like anybody listening now is going to hear all the all the places that I've clearly paused, but that's okay. <laughs> no, that I, that's but that makes that makes perfect sense, right? Because you're kind of I like I that's my preference as well. If I script a show, it's very it sounds robotic, right? And and yeah. it takes time, right? And and you know we're kind of nearing the end of the show now, and there's a couple of uh, pointed questions that I hope are will be good tips for the listeners, but. Um, the more you record, the more comfortable you get speaking. And when you're not doing it live, you can pause and think and get your thoughts together. But speaking off the cuff unearths, uh, like it's like stream of consciousness thinking that kind of unearths things that you might not have thought of if you had scripted the show, which is huge. Oh yeah, that it's it's so true. And I feel, well, the Time Management Insider, the first few episodes, I did kind of script them and then realized that it, it didn't feel how I wanted it to feel. But 
the speaking off the cuff, interviewing people, um, the, those conversations and, and having to be present and hear them while thinking about what I'm going to ask them, not what I'm going to say about myself next, which is right. like a normal conversational strategy, yeah. but the interview, interview skill. I think that all of that has made me a more effective communicator in all parts of my life. Like as a parent, teaching, talking to my kids' teachers, like, <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, self-promotion, elevator pitches, like all of that kind of thing has become so much easier, partly from doing it all the time, but then listening. Like, yeah, I, I have to listen back to everything that I make at some point to just give that final approval. And I hear, oh, wait, oh, it's kind of weird when I do that thing. Or yeah. I get really quiet you know, in those moments and, and learning to modulate and all of those sorts of things, I think have really changed me in the last year in a way that I didn't expect. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like, especially with recorded content, right? It's like you, you're either like the quarterback who's watching the the tape the next day, uh, or my approach is more like Johnny Depp. This is the only way I'm like Johnny Depp. Um, <laughs> uh, where like, I don't really like listening to I don't like listening to my own work. If I am on somebody else's podcast, I will listen to that. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I'll probably listen to this again to make notes to send to my editor. But once it's out, it's like, all right, I know it's out. I don't want to go back and listen and, and, and pick it apart. Um, but if you're doing, I mean, if you're doing the editing yourself, you you have to. And, and I did the editing myself for the first six months or so of, of my show. So... You you do you learn a lot about. I used to say um a lot, and I still do. But when mm-hmm. I'm on, right, like when I'm on stage, we'll say, I am am more intentional about my phrasing. Yeah, that's true. You learn to sort of pause instead of um. There's there's all sorts of things. I will say I don't edit the longer one. The TMI mm-hmm. podcast is more like thirty or forty minutes. Yeah. That I have a producer who does it. It's the recipe of the day because it's every day. I wanted to be able to just do them whenever I wanted to and not yeah. have somebody else's schedule to worry about or or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, I just um. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, it's been such a learning experience and really beautiful. I really love podcasting. It's wonderful. Yeah, uh, so much fun. It's I, I can't say enough nice things about it either. Uh, so I forget now if we've said this in the pre-show or the main show, but with the recipe of the day before we wrap up here, you mentioned a few things that you're able to do, right? You have one recipe and you have like, I think you said 12 pieces of content maybe. Uh, or, or it might be more like four, but but uh, but yes, or maybe yes, so, twelve, so what, like twelve options, right? Like twelve different things you can do with it, or whatever. Yeah, what what I realized early on, so it's only been going. I'm going to say this, it's only been going for three weeks, and we already have over three thousand downloads, which is super exciting. Yeah, that's to me. awesome. But but um, when I first started recording them, I realized that the hardest part was choosing which recipe to do. I'm trying to make them, like if it's a Monday, it might be more like a soup or a easy get into the week dinner. If it's Saturday, it might be like an appetizer. If you're having friends over, you want some wings for game day. Like, so I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to follow you through your week, through your days like that. And so I'm sitting down with a calendar and I'm like, oh, geez, what are, what's going to be next Wednesday? Yeah. Like, wh- what should that be? And so choosing them is almost the hardest part. Then I record it. Uh, my social media person does a graphic. And, and so we, then we have the links. I do a bit.ly, like a branded bit.ly link. So we have all that made for the show. And it occurred to me that once that decision's made, that there's a bunch of different options that we can give people. So you 
you can listen every day to recipe of the day and get that inspiration for your dinner from there. Or we can text the link to you. We have a phone number you text dinner to. I don't have it offhand, but, um, and then, but in terms of repurposing content, like when you have that one idea and then you do a whole bunch of stuff with it, right? We, you can subscribe to a newsletter where you get it sent to you every day in a newsletter. Uh, there's a Facebook group. And then the thing that I'm most excited about is, We've actually, once the podcast episode is recorded, we're embedding them in the blog post right in the recipe card. So in, where that jump to recipe button takes you yeah. right down there is the player. So if you don't want to read all those paragraphs, you can click and listen and it's right there. So it's giving, it's it's reaching possible podcast listeners, but it's also giving the regular blog visitor something new and different to have as well. That's awesome. And that's, I think that's a really good takeaway for those listening, right? You have a blog post or a newsletter. Um, Usually my newsletters will be the kind of first idea, the first like ruminations Mm -hmm. that will then turn into a blog post later. So Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of ways where you can be on different platforms and repurpose with, I'm not going to say no effort, but just a little extra effort. You know, it's not, you're not starting from scratch each time. Uh, So as we wrap up here, Christine, this has been such a great conversation. We went through uh, kind of starting the blog, how important analytics are, how you make money and then repurposing the content. By the way, with your podcast, uh, you mentioned that you don't have ads. uh, You don't have like the embedded like ad thrive ads. Do you do sponsors there, affiliate or or is this really more about driving traffic to your, your blog? So I've just started just uh, I I just recorded this weekend the ones the episodes that are going to be going up in the early part of December and mm-hmm. I've just tried mentioning some of the more Christmas gift affiliate sort of people that I have in yeah. there. I my general sense of this when I start something new and I would love to hear other other perspectives but when I started the Cookful, my second site in 2015, I waited until it was getting 100,000 page views a month before I put any advertisement on it. And what I thought was instead in that sidebar space, in those places where you put ads, I advertised my own stuff. I was putting mm-hmm. more links to related recipes and and trying to do that and make it a very good experience for everybody before I started um, advertising on there. And I guess that's what I'm planning with the podcast. But really right now, the biggest goal and the reason that I wanted to do it was because most of my traffic to my sites comes from Google. And that feels like it's, you know, one one client, like you said, almost like it's like one one traffic source, which is one revenue stream, really. And if I can get the traffic coming from somewhere else, then that buffers me a little bit. If ever, you know, the Google algorithm changes and decides it hates me, like that can happen any yeah. day, right? Right. I always say if Google ever buys all recipes.com, we're all screwed because they're just <laughs> going to start putting all recipes.com first. I don't think that's in Google's best interest because that's not how, how they want things to be. But um, it's still there in my mind. So the idea with the podcast and some of the other things that I've been doing is really to get that brand awareness and have people coming to the site through other things, whether through the podcast or even just like, oh, I wonder if Christine has a recipe for that and coming to me directly. And I'll say since I've been working, so Brittany, the the acquaintance that we have is yeah. my PR, PR, head of my PR team, head of the PR company I work with. Since I've started working with her, the traffic to my homepage, people coming directly to Cook the Story or, or Googling for Christine Pittman blog or Cook the Story website has like, I think it's like, 
I think, I don't know, even know, it's like quadrupled a couple times over at this point. Like, wow. uh, which I think is just from that PR work, but also possibly from these other avenues of people coming directly instead of going through Google. That's amazing. Big shout out to Brittany Lynn. She's the best. I'll, I will yeah. I will link to the Human Connections Agency, which is her agency in the show notes for this for this episode, uh, which I haven't said the the URL because we're recording this um, a little early, but I know this is going to be episode 253. So you can find the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 253. I'll have where to find Christine, which she'll tell us about in a minute. But first, I do need to ask you uh, if you do have any trade secrets for us, right? And trade secrets, of course, as, we, as I move this show from... Uh, running a plug-in business to being a content creator is is what's something that that you don't think enough content creators do or take advantage of or or something to make their lives easier? Yeah, so maybe this is going to be a little bit more touchy-feely, but I, I feel like when I first started using analytics to decide on my content, it felt a little inauthentic. It wasn't necessarily what I was making for my family. It was what I thought was going to drive traffic and that like it felt inauthentic. And I've really come around over time as my site has grown and I've seen more and more people love what I do. To, I've come to realize that by having the analytics and using like what is doing well on my site, the roast pork, the chicken wings, what, you know, what, what trends do my readers and listeners want? The easy meals for weeknights. When I, when I start looking at that, I'm not, I am giving my, visitors what they actually want and need, what serves them and what helps them. And that isn't inauthentic. It's it's not necessarily what I'm making in my kitchen. It's not the content that I am creating for myself, but it is the content that is most going to help people. And the analytics are the tool to figure out that. And they're not necessarily like a evil, evil genius trick or something. It's really like, how do I get insight into what people want? I look at the data and that can actually feel empowering and good and doesn't have to feel like a weird sellout for traffic thing. Yeah, I love that, right? Because we're not our target audience. Our audience is our target audience. So, you know, why exactly. Why am I going to tell people only what I want to know, right? I want to I help people understand and help them solve their problems, not my problems. Uh, so I think that's great. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was just having a conversation recently with my friend Brian Richards about, sending email and it's almost this because again we're like we're recording this as cyber monday black friday wrap up and uh he said getting over the hump of realizing that sending people emails about the sale is not annoying it is a service he's helping them realize hey if you are or have ever been interested in my product now you can get it at its best price or, Hey, you only have like an hour to take advantage of this pricing before mm-hmm. it goes away. That's providing a service. If they didn't want to know they'd unsubscribe and some people do. And that's great. Cause I don't want to crowd their inbox. Uh, and I don't want them on a list where I'm paying basically per subscriber and where they don't want to buy anything from me. So flipping that switch, um, and and thinking yeah. about what you do a certain way in, in the service of your audience is so important. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. And the newsletter point is a really good one. I think that, I, I don't think I've learned that one yet for myself. I still feel a little, oh gosh, I'm going in their inbox. Like it's yeah. like, and actually sending that text every day too. We're sending the recipe of the day text every day. I feel a little like invasive, but 
they can unsubscribe. Yeah. And if they like it and it helps them and it's good. And like, that's what the one that goes je- directly to the jump to recipe button too. So I'm sending them right to the recipe. Like, yeah. I don't know, we'll try. And if people hate it, they can unsubscribe. And yeah, yeah that's, that's okay. exactly right. I'll keep you posted. But you know, again, I, I, today is the last day of my big sale where, you know, it's a big discount on my membership and my a la carte courses are going away. And I had two emails scheduled for today. One that's like less than 24 hours, one that is like 10 hours. And my mm-hmm. friend Brian was like, you need four emails, right? You need 24 hours, 12 hours, two hours, 20 minutes. I ended up doing 12, like 24 hours, 12 hours, four hours, 60 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. Just cause like that felt more right like that felt more in tune with where my audience is. Like, I don't know how many are going to be checking at like 1130 PM uh, (laughs) Eastern time. Right. You know, I think my, my British and European audience has really taken advantage of the sale already. So, um, but I'm like four emails. That feels like a lot, but you know what? People check at different times of the day. Sometimes it gets buried and invariably I'm probably going to get emails from people who are like, I missed the sale. Is there anything you can do? But at this point, I've done everything I could do. So um, I think that's, to bring it back to your point, this isn't about me. To bring it back to your point, using analytics, not inauthentic. It helps you serve your audience. I think that's a really uh, great takeaway um, and and a good place to leave it before we get into build something more where we'll talk about cooking as a busy parent, as well as I am going to talk to you about your production schedule a little bit. So um, if you are interested in either of those things, you can sign up for just 50 bucks a year. That is less than five bucks a month over at buildsomething.club. You'll get ad-free extended episodes, uh, which you'll be able to sign up for over at howibuilt.it slash two, five, three. Christine, this has been a pleasure. If people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, I mean, my site is cookthestory.com and that is my my own personal blog where I'm happiest, but also the, uh, well, social media. I'm Cook the Story everywhere. That is the best place. We're even on TikTok now. That is uh, recent. <laughs> me too, And then me too. the podcast, I think, um, Time Management Insider. And I mean, we've been talking about recipe of the day a lot, but I feel like that's for anybody who wants the inspiration, what to make today, and like to learn those little cooking tips and those things along the way, three to five minutes. That and, and I think my personality is there quite a bit. So <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, again, I will link to all of that in the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash two five three. Christine, thanks so much for your time and your great insight. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's been great. Thanks to everybody listening. Until next time, get out there and build something.